where we live declared righteous, but yet we all know, well, we should, we often forget how wretchedly sinful we are. So there's that contrast of being at one time both a saint, the redeemed child of God, but yet a sinner who cries out with Paul, O wretched man that I am. So that's why I've appreciated that song the past year, because it's a declaration of, God, it's not about what I say. It's not about what my heart says. It's not about what I'm thinking. It's really about what you say, who I am. And the challenge of the Christian life is bringing those two things in accord with one another. God's declaration of who we are with who we really think we are and believe we are and live as we are. So I appreciate that. Church, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. It should still be on page 952 of your Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. We're still focusing on our identity as the church. So the question this morning, which should be a pretty easy answer, is what is the purpose of of the church. What is the mission of the church? Why are we here? What are we to do? There's a lot of different aspects of that, but I think we would all agree one of the chief missions that even Jesus himself has commissioned us to do is to make disciples. We are to make disciples. Jesus commands us to as you are going, make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that Jesus commands. This is our mission of God's people. This is our purpose as disciples of Jesus Christ. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, what is a disciple? If we're supposed to make disciples, what are we making? What is a disciple? There are countless definitions of what a disciple is. I just prefer simplicity, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the simple answer. But our passage this morning kind of fleshes out what I believe is a slightly longer definition. It's still the same idea it's still following Jesus Christ. But this morning we can say this. A disciple is one who receives the wisdom of God and seeks to impart that wisdom to others in a spirit of humility and weakness. A disciple is one who receives the wisdom of God and then seeks to impart that wisdom to others and does both the receiving and the imparting in humility, in weakness. So as followers of Christ, we receive His wisdom. As followers of Christ, we impart His wisdom. Disciples, here's what's short of it, disciples are to be making disciples. If you are a follower of Christ, you are to be reproducing other followers of Christ. Or, by the very definition, if you are not reproducing, if you as a disciple of Christ are not making disciples of Christ, 
then you're not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because disciples make disciples. Disciples reproduce. Followers of Christ receive and impart the wisdom of God. We receive his wisdom. And that's what we're good at, right? You're all sitting here, hopefully, hearing the word of God and receiving God's wisdom. That where the church is not good at, and I'm speaking of this church and all the churches, is imparting that wisdom. This is where every single church that I've known has failed in some way. And the irony is that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We often fail in our very mission. We are failing in who we are and what we're supposed to do. This is every church fails to make disciples. See, Christianity is not a passive religion where you sit here. It includes that, but it better not end there. If your Christian life begins and ends when the service begins and ends, then you are not living the Christian life. You are not being a follower of Jesus Christ. You are not faithfully fulfilling God's commission, God's purpose, God's plan of taking His Word and teaching others to observe all that Jesus commands. And we must do it in humility and weakness. That's the good news for us. So this morning, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to do it, and that's why I asked the, the words to go on the screen. We're actually going to work backwards. So hopefully no one gets confused, but we're going to begin at the end. Verses 12 to 16, where we're going to look at receiving God's wisdom. And then we're going to turn to verses 6 to 11 to see how Paul encouraged the Corinthians to impart God's wisdom. And then we'll wrap it up by concluding and looking at verses 1 to 5, focusing on our posture. How do we receive God's wisdom? How do we impart God's wisdom? We do it with a posture of humility, with a posture of weakness. So let's begin at the end. Look at verse 12, if you would, with me. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of our Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is where discipleship starts. Well, at one level, from the perspective of the one being discipled, it starts with receiving God's wisdom. Now, discipleship process is actually a little more complicated, right? You guys remember Romans 10, where Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's where discipleship starts. But then he asks, how then? 
can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? So Paul answered those questions in Romans 10. He doesn't quite say this in this passage, but in Romans chapter 1 he does. He says, God has made himself known. And this is the foundation of all of our discipleship. God has revealed himself to us. Very simply, we would not have gotten this on our own, as we'll see. This takes a supernatural act. But then God says he sends, and the sent ones preach, and the ones who preach, the message is heard. And at that moment where the message is heard is then the moment where one receives the wisdom of God. That moment is where the Spirit of God is actively engaged. The Spirit brings new life, takes dead hearts, and brings them to life. We, church, theologically call this regeneration. When the Spirit of God takes dead things and brings them back to life, Jesus in John 3 calls this being born again. It is bringing to life that which is dead. And in these verses, in verses 12 to 16, we have again the contrast of two people. See, last week we saw Paul use the language of those who are being saved versus those who are perishing. This morning in verses 12 to 16, he uses the language of the natural person in contrast with the language of the spiritual person. The natural person is the one who is perishing, the one who is the unbeliever. The spiritual person is the one who is being saved, who believes and trusts in Christ. Have you ever considered what the only thing is that separates the natural person from the spiritual person? Grace. God's grace. We are deserving of wrath, but God, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. That is what separates the spiritual from the natural. One thing that unites them is that both the natural and the spiritual person respond to God's wisdom. Both hear and receive God's wisdom. We need to understand that, but the natural person and the spiritual person both know God. Both the natural person and the spiritual person respond to God's wisdom, but they respond in drastically different ways. What does Paul say? He says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 14. It's a, it's a bit like, how do we fix the public schools? How do we fix, the, fix the, social, the moral social problems of today? What do most people say? We just need more education. If we only educated them, then they would be good. A lot of Christians think that the problem with unbelievers is that they just need to be educated. They just need to believe. They just need to, if they don't believe God, it's, not, it's because they don't know about, they don't have the proper knowledge. But what does God's word say? Look in Romans 1 and you'll see that God's word says they already know God. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth is handiwork. Romans 1, Paul says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness 
Do you know what those people do with that knowledge of God? They have that knowledge of God. They receive that knowledge of God. They respond to it. And this is what Paul says they do. They suppress it. They suppress it. One theologian used, which I, illustration I love, I'm not a beach person. I don't like the beach that much. Sorry, beach lovers. But you ever taken a beach ball and try to stick it underwater? What happens? Put it back down. What happens? It's always going to what? Come back up. Every single time, unless it's deflated, right? But that would kill the illustration. The beach ball, always people try to suppress it. And this is exactly what happens to unbelievers. This is what Paul says takes place in Romans 1. They take it, the truth of God, that, volley, that beach ball, and they try to stick it under water. God, I know you are there, but I reject you. I am sticking you in there. I don't know you. I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. And I stick it in here. And what always happens? It pops back up. God cannot be hidden from. God cannot be escaped. There is no escape plan from God. He knows everyone. And Paul says that those who claim to not know God really know him. And they suppress that truth and righteousness. God is known to all since the creation of the world. God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, Paul says. And his conclusion from Romans 1 is that people are without excuse. Your atheist coworker, your agnostic neighbor are without excuse because they know God and they've rejected him. The natural person, Paul says, chooses willful rebellion. They do not glorify God nor give thanks to Him. In their thinking, Paul says, they become futile and their foolish hearts are darkened. They claim to be wise but are fools. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for idols. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. The natural person the atheist, the agnostic, guess what? They worship. Paul says they worship and serve created things rather than the Creator who is to be forever praised. The natural person rejects God's wisdom because they count it as foolishness. But the spiritual person receives the wisdom of God because the Spirit has changed their heart, changed their mind, transformed them. So if you here today have received the Spirit of God and believe and trust in Christ, it is because the Spirit of God has worked in your life. He has taken your dead heart and He's pushed blood through it. And it's beating again and beating and growing and loving. He's taken the hard heart and softened it. And because the Spirit is within us, God's Word says we can understand these things. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. So what that means is this huge, whopping, overwhelming book. We can know it. And we can understand it. And even more so, the God who has revealed Himself through these pages, we can know Him personally through His Word. 
We are the spiritual ones who receive the wisdom of God. This wisdom is nothing less, Paul says, than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The wisdom that we are to boast in is the foolishness of the cross. The tattered, splintered, cruel, rugged cross. This wisdom of God is our Savior dead. This wisdom of God is our Savior buried. This wisdom of God is our Savior risen again. This wisdom of God, brothers and sisters, is what we are to receive. And this receiving is believing. It's a central part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to follow Jesus Christ if you claim to be a disciple of Him? You have the mind of Christ. That means you can understand God's Word. You can understand when we are commanded to observe all that Jesus taught. That means we, it's not just mentally up here. We can actually put into practice what Jesus has commanded us. We boast in the cross. We boast in our Savior, dead, buried, and resurrected. We boast in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is himself the wisdom of God. We boast in the cross, and nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is the wisdom of God. Our response as disciples is to receive that wisdom. But it's not just enough to sit here and passively receive that wisdom. Because even receiving is not, should not be passive. There's an active part of it. But the goal is always not just to hear the word, but what does James say? We are to be what? Doers of the word. So we must, part of it, that doing of the word is imparting what we have. It's not just like a sponge soaking it in and receiving it. We need to be squeezed out. What we receive needs to be pushed out. We need to impart that wisdom. Disciples make disciples. We are to be reproducing. Look at verses 11 through 16, if you would, please. Sorry, 6 through 11. Verses 6 through 11. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Church, our mission as disciples of Jesus Christ is to impart what God has revealed to us. And you know what's so striking about this passage? The theme that is running out and introduced so strongly here is the Spirit of God. 
And if you are a follower of Christ, then you know the Spirit of God changes everything. Everything. See, the Spirit of God imparts saving knowledge to us, and then the Spirit gives us power to go and impart that knowledge to others. We receive, and then we impart. This is how disciple-making works. And you know what that means? If you have received, guess what you can do? Impart. Everyone who receives this hidden and secret and mysterious mystery of God, which is revealed in Christ, the foolishness of the cross, can impart it, can share it. This hidden mystery has been made known. God has revealed it to us. Paul quotes Isaiah 64, 4. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. No eye is seen. No ear is heard. No heart has imagined. This is what God prepared for you and for me, for those who love Him. God has made it known to us. He has pulled back the curtain. And when the curtain is pulled back, there is the cross, center stage. There is Christ, the slaughtered Lamb of God. There is the empty tomb, powerless to hold our Savior. This is the wisdom of God. This is foolishness to the world, but to us who believe, this is the power of God to salvation, and this is our job. This is the wisdom that we seek to impart. Paul says this isn't earthly wisdom. This isn't wisdom of the age. This isn't the wisdom of rulers of this age. All that wisdom is doomed to destruction. But we impart a secret, hidden wisdom. A wisdom that is once hidden and now revealed. It's a godly wisdom. It's a wisdom that God decreed before the ages for our glory. It is the wisdom of a crucified Christ. It is the wisdom of a broken and bruised and bloodied Savior. It is the wisdom of our glorious eternal hope. This is what we are to impart. This is what we are to proclaim. This is what we boast in. The Lord Jesus Christ and His cross and the empty tomb. Faithful preaching is imparting godly wisdom. Faithful teaching imparts godly wisdom. Faithful disciple-making imparts godly wisdom. Faithful living imparts godly wisdom. This imparting of the wisdom is our task. This is our job. This is your job. This is my job. If we have received, then part of our calling as disciples is also to share. Our mission remains the same. Receive the wisdom of God. Impart the wisdom of God. John, and throughout Scripture, it's we have received this. We pass on to you. The Apostle John, who was a faithful disciple and disciple maker, writes to the church and he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked at and our hearts have touched. This proclaiming concerning the word of life, the life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are to impart. We are to proclaim. We are to boast. But how? How are we to receive the Word? How are we to impart that Word? It is, after all, a message of a crucified Christ. It is a message of a bloody cross. It is a message of a broken body for you. How are we to proclaim and share that message? In weakness and in humility. This is what we are to boast in, the cross. The cross, the message, should inform our methods. Did you catch that? The cross, which is our message, should inform our methods. So the way we do things, the way we impart wisdom of God is the way Christ has died. We follow that cruciform life and live out our imparting of that wisdom, our disciple-making in humility and in weakness. Look at Paul as he came to the Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. He comes. Listen to how he comes. In verse 1, Paul writes, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There's a church plant in Philly that shall remain nameless. They began reaching out to the community by holding a raffle for Eagles tickets. If you come on Sunday morning, you have a chance to score Eagles tickets. Guess what happened? The church grew. And if you didn't win the Eagles tickets, you would still be given, even if you just walked through the door, a $15 gift card to Starbucks. The church grew. But let me say that not all church growth is good. And by the way, we're not planning on doing that, <laughs> in case there is any doubt. There's a saying that goes something like this, what you win them with is what you keep them with. Or a slightly different variation, what you win them with is what you win them to. The point is this, our methods matter. If you win people with gifts, with Eagles tickets, guess what they're going to keep expecting? A Starbucks card at the very least every Sunday. And what happens when they don't get that Starbucks card the following week? 
they're out finding another church. What you win them with is what you keep them with. That is why we seek to win with Christ and Him crucified. Another church, and I appreciate this one a lot more because of the, I think the heart was right, was that when we were in Louisville in seminaries, African-American church offered $50. This was an ad in the Louisville Courier-Journal. Offered $50 for a white person to come and visit. I regret never taking them up on that because I probably could have used the cash. But I, I honestly, I appreciate the sentiment because they saw the biblical need and the, the, the reality that we should be a diverse church, that we should be men and women from every tribe, language, people, nation. I appreciated the intent. Their heart was in the right place. but They went about the wrong way. So there is, this is the thing. Our methods matter. As we seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ, how we do it matters. Yes, we should be concerned with the message, the wisdom of God and the cross. But hear this. We can have the right message and proclaim it in the wrong way. We can have the very cross of Christ and be sharing it in such an obnoxious way that people don't say that the cross is foolish, they say the messenger is foolish. Allow the cross to be the stumbling block. Allow the cross to be the foolishness of the world. Don't be the one who conveys that message in poor ways. See, our methods must align and be in agreement with our message, and the message is the way of the cross. If our message is the way of the cross... Just like our Savior, we come in weakness, with humility, with brokenness. Paul came to the Corinthians in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Pastors often get adjusted to being up front of people. And there's some that's helpful in that sense to, to get over some of the fears of speaking to a larger crowd. But do you know what? Pastors who get the weight of what I'm doing right now, there's always intense fear. Not so much because of what you guys will think, but because of the task. There's nothing wrong with pastors, elders, and church leaders admitting their inadequacies. There's a book I'm reading by the president of the seminary going to in Westminster, and the subtitle is something along the lines of leadership for those who already know their failures or their inadequacies. His point being, lead out of weakness. Lead out of brokenness. Recognize that you are a broken person, a sinful person, a wretched person. Paul, the apostle, we would put him all the way up here. If I'm even on the scale, which I wouldn't be, it would be all the way down there in the basement. And yet he himself declared, O wretched man that I am. The point is, none of us are up to this task of discipleship. Our calling is all too great. Whether we are a pastor or a street paver, our calling is too great because all of us are called to make disciples. Our work is only possible as it's sustained and fed by the grace and mercy of our Lord. Paul came knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came in weakness. 
And here's something I don't want you to miss. There is danger in weakness, but there's also beauty in weakness. We don't think about that, do we? We don't like to be weak. Our entire culture says, don't be weak. But there is beauty in weakness. Our weakness is beautiful because it testifies to the power of God. Our weakness is beautiful because it testifies to the strength of the Spirit. When I stumble over words, when you stumble over words, when you cry because you don't know what to say to your neighbor who's asking good but hard questions, there is beauty in that. Because it's about the Spirit of God moving. There is beauty in our weakness. There is beauty when we maintain a posture of humility and brokenness. If we come arrogantly, if we come with, Paul says, boastful, loud, perfect speech, then the power of God is lessened if we come stumbling over words, knowing that we are broken in humility, then there's a ton of room for God to be glorified and for His power to be saying, so if I, someone is led to Christ under my ministry, it is most definitely not because of this gifted tongue. It is because of the power of the Spirit of God working in hearts and minds. And it's that powerful Spirit that gives each and every one of us the ability to impart the wisdom of God. So if you say, I am not good enough, I don't know how to share my faith, I wouldn't know where to start, I'm too too new of a follower of Christ or too old of a follower of Christ, no one's ever told me, you know what, you are just the person, God says, who is perfect for imparting the wisdom of God. Because when you come in weakness, and humility, then God is glorified because of your testimony, not yourself. J.I. Packer wrote a book called Weakness is the Way. What a good mark for us as followers of Christ. Weakness is our way. The cross is Christ's way, and weakness is our way. Because our weakness beautifully, powerfully, mightily displays the power of God. So we proclaim the foolishness of the cross as fools in the world's eye. We impart the wisdom of God that is viewed by the world as stupidity and foolishness. We lift up the cross and Jews stumble over it. We boast in the cross and the world laughs and mocks and ridicules. They have worldly wisdom, but it is going to be destroyed. We have the power and wisdom of God which will live on forever. And in our weakness, that power is beautiful. This is the wisdom we receive from God. The message of Christ crucified. This is what we proclaim. A crucified Christ. So our message must be carried out in humility and weakness. The foolishness of cross. 
is the power of God for salvation. We have received this wisdom. We haven't received it to just sit back and relax and, oh, I'm good, I'm safe from hell. We have received this wisdom of God to impart it to others. Disciples make disciples. This is our task to share this wisdom of God, to share the power of God, to share the foolishness of the cross. So what if someone stumbles over it? So what if someone mocks you? All of that mockery one day will be destroyed. And there, the destroyer of that mockery will be the lamb that was slaughtered for you and for me, standing there. It is our responsibility to receive, to impart, to do it in weakness and in humility. Let us pray. Father, we know that humility is the way, that weakness is the way, but we confess that it's hard. We confess that we don't humble ourselves. We don't come humbly to receive your wisdom. We don't in weakness seek to impart your wisdom. And we fail to see the power of God. Father, we ask, help us to really see how weak we are. Help us to see how needy we are. Help us to see how Christ is glorious and the Spirit is powerful. Help us to see through our weakness and through humility the testimony of the beautiful power of God. Father, we want to see Your power. We want to see Your beauty. Use us as broken vessels that hold the eternal, beautiful, glorious gospel to be broken and poured out so that others may see, not us, but the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God that takes dead hearts and makes them live again. Father, help us to see that power. Help us to pray for that power. Help us in weakness and humility to move in your strength, for your glory, in your Son's name, amen.